As Michigan's most powerful and influential voice for business, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce stands ready to serve you. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com to learn more now. Hey, I'm Kerry Jr. the second. Before we get into the episode today, we want to acknowledge what's been going on this week. On Tuesday, May 24th, 19 children and two teachers were killed when an 18-year-old gunman opened fire in a fourth grade classroom of Robb Elementary School in Texas. The shooting is the deadliest since 21st graders and six adults were killed at Sandy Hook Elementary nearly 10 years ago. And for Michiganders, it's sadly reminiscent of this past November when four students were killed in a shooting at Oxford High School. In fact, a number of Oxford students walked out of class Thursday in solidarity with the community in Texas. In the wake of this week's shooting, there's been yet another renewed call for action on gun violence. Michigan Democrats attempted to force a vote on tighter gun storage laws. The GOP and the state legislature blocked it. We and our colleagues will continue to follow this story But in the meantime, our thoughts are traveling back to conversations we had on last week's episode with Oxford High graduates, how they wanted the world to know of how their community has come together and the hope they have. We hope in this incredibly painful moment, we can all find a bit of that. All right, here's today's story. Well, if I hadn't have been knocked to the floor, I wouldn't be here. One... I had a big window behind me, and a big chunk of it flew across the road. Last week, a tornado hit the small northern Michigan city of Gaylord. And the tree, it came in like this, bounced and hit me in the head. Oh my God. I had three trees take my trailer out. While you were in it? Trees, like this. Mm. Couldn't get your hands around them. Tornadoes like this aren't very common in this part of the state, but are they about to be? The storm that killed two people, injured 44, and left folks like Raymond Hinton here staying on cots at a local church has left questions like that. Questions about whether this was climate change at play. I've been in tornadoes before, but I have never been a victim of one. And questions about whether residents were given enough warning to get to safety. Warning went off over the phone, and about and two minutes later, boom, it hit. This week, we examined the role of climate in the Gaylor tornado, and whether a lack of warning sirens made a difference. I'm Kerry Jr. the second, and this is on the line. Whenever there's a major weather event or natural disaster, it's common to see references to climate change. After it was revealed the tornado last week was further north than Michigan normally sees, that was part of the conversation online. Folks saying this incident was, too, a result of climate change. Scientists agree on the human-caused global warming already inflicting harm on our environment, but we wanted to ask some experts whether this particular storm could be directly attributed to it. It's hard to say is the short answer. That's Professor Jonathan Overpeck. 
an interdisciplinary climate scientist and the dean of the School for Environment and Sustainability at the University of Michigan. He's one of a few experts we spoke with to help us connect the dots. Michigan gets tornadoes, all of Michigan uh, gets them naturally. Um, Southern Michigan, if you go from Bay City and you put a line across um, Michigan, uh, south of that line gets a lot more tornadoes than north of that line. And of course, Gaylord is um, north of that line. Um, But because we get uh, a large number of tornadoes in Michigan, you can't say this tornado is due to climate change. The challenge as a scientist is with what confidence can we make those, those claims? That's Professor Perry Sampson. He's a professor of climate, space sciences, and engineering, also at the University of Michigan. And with tornadoes in particular, um, it's not out of the question. We can't come up with some theories for how tornadoes could, in fact, get uh, more intense or maybe change their characteristics in the future. But the science is still far too much in the infancy to say with much confidence that this is already happening or even will happen. Some others are a bit more confident they know the answer, like Harold Brooks, a senior research scientist at the National Severe Storms Laboratory for NOAA, or NOAA as it's called. That's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It's probably not really a sign of climate change that the tornado happened in Gaylord. Certainly there haven't been very many tornadoes in that area, uh, but tornadoes in reality are a rare event anywhere. But he also told us that tying tornadoes to climate change and what's to come of it is a difficult science. If you can think of any time we try to connect climate change with any with any weather event, you can think of it as a as there's a chain and we're making links. And for some weather phenomena, say high temperatures or heavy precipitation, the chain is pretty short and each one of the links is very solid. When we get down to something like tornadoes, the chain is much, much longer. And not all of the links are are very strong. Here's what experts told us we do know. We do know physically about the the ingredients that are associated with tornadoes in the atmosphere. We know that some of them are likely to become more favorable and occur more frequently as the planet warms. Others may become less favorable. Tornadoes care a lot more about the wind profiles than hail does, or non-tornadic winds care. And so the details of the wind profile and the wind profile, how it changes, we have much less confidence in our understanding of that than we do of the fact that the atmosphere is going to warm up. That makes it a lot harder, particularly to say tornadoes. Severe thunderstorms, certainly will increase in the United States, almost certainly will increase in the United States over the next 50 to 75 years. Um, The things we think climate change is going to affect is the severity or the strength of the tornadoes. Professor Overpeck. And the reason for that is the atmosphere is warming and that's in part what fuels uh, thunderstorms. So if we can make bigger thunderstorms, we can make bigger tornadoes. The other thing is we're getting, as the atmosphere warms up, due to human-caused climate change, um, that atmosphere can hold more moisture. And we see that happening. And that moisture also provides more energy for these these storms. And the last component is that uh, the oceans are warming. And yes, we're a long way from the oceans here in Michigan, uh, but what's going on is the warmer ocean 
is fueling uh, more storms coming out of the Gulf of Mexico up into our part of the world. The other area that we've seen a change is that it's not that the number of tornadoes days are necessarily increasing, but we are seeing this uh, somewhat troubling signal that when we have a tornado day, we get more tornadoes on those days. And we've had evidence and we've had a days with with over over 200 tornadoes in, in 24 hours. They don't happen so often that we can say with confidence that that's a trend. But the fact that we're seeing that happen is we're trying to explain why we're seeing that happen. So I, I can't stand here and say that, you know, climate change isn't going to affect tornadoes. But I can say that it's something that needs to be studied. Some evidence does speak to a geographical shift in where these tornadoes may hit in the future. Famously, Tornado Alley has always included from Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. And that continues to be an area that, that sees a number of tornadoes. But the, now we're seeing a shift to the east, uh, more into um, Ar- Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama. The places where these tornadoes can occur is moving north. So we're going to see more tornadoes uh, further north. So that means uh, we might start to see more here in Michigan. With the potential for tornadoes and an expected increase in thunderstorms, the experts did agree that knowledge and preparation are essential. Um, We have to take tornadoes seriously in Michigan, more seriously than we used to. And I think that's the big message from Gaylord. When I was growing up in Jackson, you know, Southern Michigan, and I still have memories of, you know, the whole family going down in the basement uh, when we'd have a tornado warning. And, you know, and I remember my dad saying he'd watch tornadoes go over our house. Fortunately, we never got hit. Um, but I think you need that mentality um, in Michigan now, increasingly uh, with climate change, to take these uh, threats seriously, just like we have to take flooding seriously. You should at least be prepared enough to be aware. What what I try to know every day is, well, if you know enough about what the forecast for today is, the forecasts are good enough now to know that, well, today's a day I need to pay attention. As Gaylord well demonstrated, um, be alert when those the sirens go off. Be sure that you know what to do and where to go to be safe. Good warning systems are critical. Um, and... Um, I can see how in places uh, where there are very few tornadoes, you know, people are sort of getting a lax in their worry about warning systems, but that's one of our best tools to avoid death. So we really need the warning systems to uh, help make sure people are not getting hurt and dying. And I know in Gaylord, I mean, my heart goes out to the folks there. They lost some lives um, and, um, if we had stronger, better warning systems, perhaps uh, that wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened. So what are the different warning systems across the U.S.? And did Gaylord follow current best practices? When we come back, we speak with Gaylord's police chief on what happened with this tornado and explore the challenges with all alert systems.
As Michigan's leading statewide business advocacy organization, the Michigan Chamber of Commerce is on the job every day standing up for job providers in the legislative, political, and legal arenas. We are the unified voice of thousands of members who employ over one million Michiganders. We work with trade associations and local chambers of commerce of every size and kind in all 83 counties of the state. We know business in Michigan. Learn more today about how we can protect, connect, and strengthen your business. Whether that's advocating on your behalf at the Capitol, helping meet your informational training and networking needs, or boosting your bottom line visibility and voice, we're on the job for you. Make my chamber your chamber. Go to mychamber.com, that's M-I-C-H-A-M-B-E-R.com, to learn more now. And we're back. We left off talking about climate change and how that plays into tornadoes that places like Gaylord may see in the future. But it begs the question, if more severe weather of any kind is on the way, how prepared are we to take cover and to get to safety when necessary? And how did we do this time? For more on that, producer Darcy Moran spoke to Gaylord Police Chief Frank Clays. First of all, thank you for joining us. I can only imagine how uh, busy you are and uh, how, how hard this time has been over the last week here. So really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having us. She also spoke to Bob Drost, who teaches in the Earth and Environmental Science Department at Michigan State University. He has done research on how people react in the event of a tornado. I got specifically into um, what people focus on, where they're looking uh, to get information uh, on tornado warnings. Can you kind of briefly go over, like, who's in charge of informing the public that, hey, there's a tornado, you need to seek shelter? What's the chain of communication there? That's that's going to vary by government, municipality. You know, I mean, it, it depends what type, like, for instance, do they have a city council or do they have a mayor? Do they have an emergency manager? Who does that fall to for for you guys? There's several of us that can access that. Um, our weather service is able to access that and send that alert out directly themselves. I was hoping you could kind of give us a brief kind of play-by-play of, you know, when it became there might be severe weather, uh, when a tornado was known to be possible, uh, when that alert goes out, um, and when it actually hits. Could you kind of give us a brief run-through? We got about an eight-minute warning on a system that we use called Code Red. You know, we've had a lot of questions about um, why we don't use um, like the uh, old school traditional sirens, if you will. Um, And this is kind of like the the siren of, you know, 2020. So it it overruns your phone. It's kind of like the Amber Alert system. It allows us to get a message out to people instead of just a siren. And in an area like ours, we felt it was better suited. The city of Gaylord has a much larger Uh, commercial footprint than it has a residential footprint. The bulk of our population isn't necessarily here in the city that we service commercially. You know, you think of um, your larger counties down there, it would be the equivalent of saying that, uh, you know, a a siren in Sterling Heights is going to warn people in Warren. 
And I, I know just talking to our local Gaylord reporter there, the night before was like, there might be some severe weather. And to the timing that they knew like it was eminent or, or there was some severe weather. Is there anything known about that time frame? We knew that we knew that we were expecting to have some um, good thunderstorms. Uh, again, we're fortunate here that uh, we have a National Weather Service site right here in Otsego County. So um, our emergency management um, is in touch with them all the time. We knew that there was some potential for severe weather. Um, so they had a weather alert on their phones before the tornado alert, before the tornado indication. And so through your research and the work you've done, what have you learned about kind of best practices when it comes to how people are informed? In this situation, we know they said, you know, Code Red is really the future of this. But, you know, for some other folks, it was like, wait a minute, there's no no sirens. As far as best practices, outreach through, you know, things like personal, you know, devices like phones and like that are actually an excellent resource. You said earlier that notifying people by cell phones and stuff like that is kind of future. And I agree with that. But I think what you need to take into consider and what you need to remember is that different people treat their cell phones and things like that differently, you know, than other people. In other words, you can't just say everybody's always going to look at their phone when it goes off. You have to remember that not everybody has one. And when I did the research that I did, we looked at different social populations and economic populations and, you know, underrepresented populations and how they get their information. Some prefer having their TV on, seeing the scroll at the bottom of the screen, the broadcast meteorologist, you know, showing the storm on radar with the reporter out there risking life and limb as they can see the storm approaching. Others, yeah, you know what, send me a text alert on my phone or some type of audible alert, you know. Um, other people, you know, there's people that still prefer radio. And I've seen in my research that some people actually don't depend on any of that. They just depend on what their friends and family tell them, which increases lag times. I don't think there's a perfect solution. Um, if there was, I'm sure the, the Weather Service and NOAA would have adopted it years ago. There's kind of two follow-up questions that occur to me immediately on that. And one kind of goes back to something you said previously, this idea of lead time. Time people, and and correct me if I'm getting the definition wrong, but knowing that there's a tornado or or it and it actually hitting. And so how does that play into this area that officials have to work into of getting people informed in time? I think you'd mentioned that there's pretty short notice on these tornadoes. Yeah, lead time and false alarms are two real biggies, uh, particularly for tornadoes. Often you're lucky if you have 15 minutes, some mostly maybe a little bit less. False alarms, if, for instance, you've been in a situation where, wow, I've, I've been in three tornado warnings over the past five years, nothing ever happens. It's going to guide your behavior. Um, and that's something that NOAA, National Weather Service, scientists in general, people like me who research tornado warnings, um, try to figure out the better way or the best way to avoid situations where people are um, needlessly warned. And just dwelling for a second longer on this idea of lead time, I know USA Today did some research last year as it relates to this issue and the idea of lead time and talking about Noah trying to improve upon that. Can you speak a little bit to, I don't know if you can speak to that interesting change that they're attempting, but also just the average. I mean, from what I've seen, it can range anywhere from like seven to maybe 15 or 16 minutes. Mm-hmm. The, the thing about tornadoes is they don't always touch the ground and go in a perfectly straight direction at the same speed. So that lead time is very variable. One of NOAA's primary goals was has always been to try to increase lead time and, of course, accuracy of what they're trying to predict. 
I think right now from a technology scientific standpoint, um, lead time 10 or 15 minutes is, I don't think we can expect a whole bunch more, you know, unfortunately. I mean, it is unfortunate, which is why I think is, is really important that people are aware of when they have a sense of things may be happening. I mean, you look outside, you know, it is darkening and the winds are picking up and or shifting or changing. Um, those should be potential clues for you to say, well, maybe I should check the weather, you know, and then certainly once you receive that warning, you should have a plan. Are there any reevaluations happening in terms of the response or how to, you know, make sure there's a better lead time? Um, there's only so much you can do on that in some regard. But any of that conversation happening, especially given, you know, there's a lot of talk about potentially our future having other severe weather events with climate change. Sure. Whenever there's a big incident. Chief Clays again. Whether it's... Um you know, a, a sizable non-standard traffic crash that might have some fatalities, um, a, a weather event, a big fire, um, anything like that. We always, we always do a debrief after. Um, we look at things that went well, things that uh, we could improve on. Um, I'm not aware of anything that is um, glaringly jumping off the page that we're going to, uh, that we're going to change. Um, I'm sure we'll tweak a few things. Um, again, you, you know, you try to be prepared for everything. That's an EF3 tornado. That's a very, very powerful storm, especially for it to actually hit a, you know, mobile home community. To me, means that there was a lot of significant preparation and awareness. And just finally, what do you want people to know, people looking in and seeing Gaylord and the loss here, um, the injuries about this community? I know we've also heard great tales of um, people really supporting each other. What's your takeaway? That's exactly where I was going to go. Um, you know, we saw an amazing outpouring of, of community, and we knew that we had a great community. And I wasn't surprised to see um, a lot of the faces that I saw um, pouring in from our county. But we saw it from all over northern Michigan. We saw it from southern Michigan. We saw it from Ohio, Indiana, uh, Illinois, uh, out of the worst of times, you see some of the best best behavior in, in, in all of us. And uh, I guess the upside is, is, is um, these terrible events give us a chance to be better people. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran with help from Miriam Marini and Emma Stein. Additional thank you to Paul Walitskin of the Gaylord Herald Times for his help on this episode. Our executive producers are Anjana Delgado and Marianne Struman, and our editor is Peter Batia. The music for this show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thank you, as always, for listening. And if you like the show, please share it with your friends and family. Uh, please rate the show, leave a comment, subscribe, and we'll see you next week.